Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome to the show. Today, we are talking to Erin Cortez, who serves as the director of STEAM Pathways at the Center for College Access and Success at North Il Northeastern Illinois University, also known as NEIU. Erin, thank you for taking the time to be here on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But before we talk about what's up with HSIs, let's talk about you. So go ahead and start by just telling us about your higher education journey from access to completion. Oh, gracias, gracias. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Thank you for the invitation. And um, yeah, the journey, right? I think uh, that, that that's a part that gets us to know why we are doing the work that we're doing. Um, so let me just, um, I, I'll, I won't go back uh, into too many years, but I think it'll, I'll place it um, myself in my uh, migration pattern, right? And so um, I moved to Chicago when I was about 16 years old and I went to a Chicago public school. Um, and in that public school, um, I came in, you know, uh, as a new immigrant, right? And even though I understood English and, and I knew the basics for a conversation, there was a lot of things that I wasn't sure about. And then there was a lot of like cultural simplicities to, to life that I wasn't aware of. And so um, I, I ended up being in a position where, you know, both of my parents have degrees. Um, so I wasn't first gen at all. Um, I'm a little bit more first gen about the experience of college in the United States, uh, but not in terms of expectations, right? So my expectation was always placed as you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree, right? And uh, and hard sciences, right? Because that's kind of like the thing that it's it's pushed. Um, my dad's an engineer, my mom is an educator. So that kind of gives you that that idea that I needed to go into into certain direction. I really was very interested in architecture and engineering to begin with, right? So it wasn't so so difficult for me to think that that was the path. But as I got to meet with my counselor um, and was told, you know, maybe you need to take a year off, maybe work on your English, maybe get vocabulary up there, right? Um, and and taking taking a, a moment and think that um, I was doing advanced mathematics and sciences in in high school, right? And so it wasn't like I didn't take any math or sciences enough to like prove a point that you know maybe I had the quality, right? And I think my 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 story my story here right now it's it's probably a, aligning with many other people, right? I'm not very unique, but I am unique in that to me, it was my first experience seeing that, right? And so um, it was just interesting that, that that was brought up to my attention because I never thought I wasn't going to go straight into college right out of high school, right? And so uh, that was the first time that I, I had a barrier in place. And so anyway, jumping out of that, um, I ended up just kind of dragging along. I kind of felt like out of place. I was like, oh, maybe I need to do something else. Maybe it is not for me. Um, and, you know, very quickly, you know, with the support of my parents, you know, I have very strict you know, Mexican parents. So they were like, what you mean you're not going to college? Like, no, if I need to take you, you need to enroll in period, right? And so I think, you know, um, that was my first intro to trying to figure out what 
college enrollment and admissions look like in the United States, right? Um, in many Latin American countries, you take an exam just like an SAT exam here, but you know, you take a placement exam in with thousands of people to get into public universities, right? Um, you know, I, I don't come from wealth, so I wasn't going to go to a private university in Mexico to begin with. So I had to go to UNAM, which is, you know, a, a very large institution. And, you know, thousands of people apply and take an exam and hopefully you get in. Right. And so, you know, that that's the idea. You apply, you take the exam and hopefully you come out in the list of acceptances into the department. And when I was here, I was like, well, yeah, you just need to submit your application. And if it's a city college, you could go that same day and just enroll four courses, right? And I was just like, I, it, that to me just, you know, bottled my mind, right? And that some reasons, little things that I'm going to start putting there of why am I do the work that I do, right? Um, so, so yeah, so my mom was like, no, you need to go. And so um, I ended up going to Harold Washington um, City College, right? And I went in and the first day I just asked a couple of questions. They're like, oh, you need to take an exam uh, just to see where you are. But, you know, with your with your transcript, you should be good into the courses that you want to go into. So I, I sat down. I didn't study. I didn't practice nothing. I just took that um, placement test. Right. And I bummed it <laughs> like it's horrible. Right. I, I, again, because I think I was, you know, I was 17 and I have 18 and I was like, I just came in, take an exam. I'm just enrolling. I'm moving on with life. Right. I'm like a kid, you know, that it's not responsible enough yet to say, oh, this exam, it might determine how many years I'm going to be in college, right? I mean, I, nobody was there to tell me. The counselors didn't say that. Teachers didn't say that, right? Um, I kind of just was floating through. And so I took the exam, went enrolled, and all of a sudden I'm like taking like this developmental courses in, in reading and writing and in math, right? This is someone that has already taken like Calc 2, I think, <laughs> you know, like I shouldn't, right? But again, you don't study, you don't remember very basic things, right? And being a STEM major now, right? And working with youth in STEM, I remind them, hey, the exam is not going to be those advanced topics all the time. Most of the stuff is between algebra and college algebra, right? Very simple things. So, you know, so, you know, again, I'm leaving just those bits because I think it makes sense why, why the work that we do. So anyway, um, I went to Hell Washington. I was there and I'll say... I was stuck because of the the process, not because of the institution. So I was stuck there for four years. I mean, that was a that's a two year you know institution. I should have been gone in and out, right? And so it took four years, and you know the fourth year I was like, you know, I need to figure something out. I mean, I'm not getting an an associate's yet. Um, I need to transfer. What's going to happen? And a lot of my friends were going to University of Illinois at Chicago. And so I was like, I need to go there. So I apply, I got rejected. I was, I met a lot of times with uh, the architecture department dean and the chairs. And I was just trying to do my best of as much as I knew, right, to just get in. And so, you know, one day I was just like, I got the letter that um, I wasn't accepted. Uh, and that was like maybe January, like December, January. And January, the semester started. So I just went to the school. And I asked to meet with the Dean of the Liberal Arts and Sciences, right? And I sat there until they took me in. Um, and I think, you know, again, that might be some of the some of the things that because of the privilege of all my parents pushing for me to like go into college, allow me to have that kind of ability to know you have to, you know, figure things out and, and work through them, right? Um, which many of us don't, right? Many of us weren't taught that, right? So I, I will say that I had that skill set that. I didn't know it was a skill set at that time, right? I was just, I'm just being stubborn and I'm not going to like get out of here until I get accceptant. So I sat there, um, I met with the dean of the department and the dean was like, no, I think, you know, you need to spend one more semester, bring your grades up, your GPA is not that great. And yeah, 
those four years in, in City College, I was just, I was done. I didn't really care much. I was like, I'm taking courses that I don't need to study to take an exam. So if I get a C, it doesn't matter because it, it's irrelevant to me, right? I was just not, I'm, I wasn't seeing a future there, right? And that was unfortunate, but that was just where I was. And so, you know, I, I just needed, I think, someone to light my fire, right? And so uh, the dean of the College of, of, of Liberals and Sciences told me in the meeting, well, you know, let's do this. Let's accept you um, as um, a student that doesn't have a major yet. And you should only take one course because that's all you should handle for one semester. And I was like, okay, if that's what you say, that's what you're going to do. And so at that time, I had already taken enough courses to be able to get into calculus and things like physics and all that, right? And reading and writing at the, at, the, at the correct level for a university or whatever that, that was expected of me. And so I went to the registrar's office and I decided to enroll for five classes because I said, oh, you think I'm not smart enough? Because that's what I heard. I heard like, you cannot handle this. You're not good enough. We're just giving you a chance that we know you're going to blow <laughs> and you're just not going to do well. So I was like... I don't know. I think I, 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 that's when I learned that I'm really good when I'm put into a challenge. <laughs> and so, you know, that I, I, I gave, I put that into my box of tools, right. That I didn't know that I was doing. And so, you know, I took off five classes. I was like 17, 18 credit hours, something, something crazy, right. Which I will never suggest anyone to do. Right. But at that point I was just like, it's proving time. Right. I mean, if you say that you are supposed to be here now, you need to do it. Right. And I think it's also the immigrant mentality a little bit of like, you know, you have to succeed no matter what and no matter how difficult things are, you just can't, you know, take a break. Um, talking about the days of social emotional, right? And so anyway, um, so I took the five classes, passed them with A's, did very well. And so I graduated, uh, uh, I started going to architecture and engineering and that just didn't pan out. They were like putting me on hold to transfer. So I was like, you know what? Let's go and look at what else could happen. I was like, well, you know, what else can I be good at? And I was like, well, maybe I need to learn more about my own history. So I was like, okay, well, let's do a major in liberal in Latin American Latina studies. That will be good. That'll come in handy, right? Um, and then I was like, well, but then my parents are going to be like, what are you going to do with that, right? And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I go into law, right? So maybe we do pre-law. Maybe I become an attorney, right? I'm like, it'll be great to do um, citizenship kind of work and 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 immigration work. I was like. Yeah, maybe that's the path, right? So to make story short, in a year and a half, I finished up a dual degree on pre-law and Latin American Latino studies, where all of my pre-law and Latino, Latin American, Latin American Latino studies additional coursework to like meet the 140-something credits ended up being graduate-level course. Because I was like, I'm I'm in the task of proving, right? No, no, that's like, you know, you told me I couldn't do it. Um, I think I found a way to like actually make some changes so I did that and then I came to the end I was going to graduate I was like and now what I haven't looked for a job because I've been like putting all my time to take taking all these classes while taking a part-time right because you know this right like we even though I have parents with degrees doesn't mean that we're wealthy right so we still need to make sure that we could pay that um tuition you know I didn't get uh, any financial aid um first because I didn't I wasn't documented and then later on because uh you know, my parents did just a little, a dollar more than you could actually do to get some financial aid, right? And so again, you don't know those things until somebody explained them to you. So anyway, um, working and doing all that, I never did an internship. I didn't do any of that. Nobody told me I should go look for an internship. I kind of did something like that, uh, shadowing, but nothing really meaningful enough for me to be like, okay, now I'm going to go into a job. So all I started doing was like, well, I got to go to law school, right? 
And so that didn't pan out. I mean, I did get into a couple of law schools, but I just couldn't afford them. I didn't know where I was going to take out $60,000, right? And $6,000 a long time ago <laughs> seemed a lot more than today, right? And so not to date me, um, but, you know, it was it was a while back. So um, I ended up for, you know, luck, um, I ended up in uh, summer research opportunity programs. And so the dean of the college of graduate, the, the, the grad, the dean of the College of Graduate Studies, he was like, um, you should come in and look at this program. And so I started doing summer research opportunity program. And through that, they were like, well, maybe you should do a master's. If you can do it, maybe do a master's and then you could do um, research assistantship. And that could pay it off. And that was the first time I heard of research assistantship. That's me in grad school, right? And so it made no sense. But again, you know, you, you don't know when you don't know. And so, um, so anyway, so I, I was able to get into urban planning policy. So then all their architecture engineering that I like really wanted to do, I got a chance to do that. As I was going through that process, um, I also went to do some of my uh, thesis work in Brazil and China. Um, first time that I got in a plane after you know, being a kid. So like it was the second time in a plane, right? And you're 20 something, right? And so like little things like that, that, you know, again, little bits that I tell you that it means why I'm in, why I do the work that I do. Um, get through that, um, start working at Northeastern at the same time, right? I, I, I was, um, I guess somebody thought that there was something good in me, right? And they're like, oh, you should do this coronation job and you should, you know, work with youth and try to like help them to get to college. I was like, yeah, I, it was not fun for me, <laughs> you know, so uh, maybe I could do something there. Maybe I'm not going to go to law school. Maybe I'm not going to build, you know, uh, new infrastructure in a favela. But maybe what I could do is, you know, invest in people and in, in, in develop human capital, right? Now I could say it that way. Back then, I probably didn't see it that way, right? Back then, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was like, oh, I'm just going to try to be supportive of my community, but I didn't understand how. Um, and so, you know, I did that started working at NIU, I became the director of the TRIO Upper Bound Math and Science Grant, which only worked with first-gen and limited income students um, throughout Chicago. It was nine high schools that were doing work. Uh, we remapped it. We started to like really get into the gear of STEM education. Um, that back then, you rarely hear of like students doing robotics at the schools, right? And so I was like, I don't know what it takes. We're just gonna do this and we're gonna make it happen. And so we started doing that kind of work. Um, and I was, as I was going through it, um, a, a, a supervisor decided to tell me in a meeting that um, I didn't have a background in STEM. Yes, I do have a, 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 a master's in math and science in, in urban plan policy, but it doesn't say math and science education. So because it doesn't say math and science education, you are no one to really give an opinion or ideas about it. And remember when I said the dean of education told me, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you just come in for one class, but you can't do well. Well, the trigger went in, right? I was like, okay. Well, and so I applied to Illinois Institute of Technology to do a master's in math and science education. So I was like, well, you know, you say I don't have it. I'm going to prove you that I do. And so anyway, so that that happened. That's again, the master's. And then through there, from there, um, the offer was extended to do the PhD also in math and science education, which, you know. Uh, I try my best to get through coursework almost done, you know, and I, now I'm like pushing to, okay, you, 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 you invested about 10 years to develop the work that you're doing here at Northeastern. Um, it's time to step back a little bit and, and, and kind of give time to, to do, to do that PhD work, mainly because I think that due to the work that we've been doing there, there is a lot that we could do for academia, but also for other institutions, not just on the direct services, 
right? But also on the data that we're getting, the, the, the experiences that are being built. So I think that's where we are in terms of education. So, you know, all that is, it looks like a long, uh, like a really long process, but I think it also defines very well the reasons why I'm investing in not only in HSI, but really just in education of those um, with the most needs. So hopefully that that kind of gives you a little bit of a, uh, and it's a big summary, but it's yes, a summary. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say a little bit. That was a lot. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's great. I love the breadcrumbs. Thank you for all the breadcrumbs, right? Of like, this happened. So that's going to lead to why I do the work, right? The motivate, like you gave us the breadcrumbs to why you do the work you do now, right? Which is what yeah. we're going to get into. So, uh, so thank you. As I was listening, I was thinking, I want all college students to listen because um, I think a lot of us are lost and don't know which way to go. And, you know, uh, the whole idea that like you, it's almost like you kept getting like, cha like challenges, right? And you're like, all right, I accept, right? Challenge accepted. Let me, let me prove this person wrong. Let me prove that person wrong, right? Um, along the way. So so yeah, no, thank you for, for giving us an overview, a snapshot into how you got to where you are today. It's an important one. So now that we know how you got to the work that you do today, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, um, I, I like people to get into then their servingness journey. Now, some folks talk about along the way attending a Hispanic serving institution, right? Like and maybe they knew or they didn't know, um, but we'll talk about it. Um, you didn't talk about it, but it doesn't mean you don't have a servingness journey. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. How your what's your servingness journey? How did HSIs become uh, part of your consciousness? Oh man, well you know I think when when and, and I'm not gonna say that it is the case or not, but perception wise, right? Um, I didn't know that there was such thing as a Hispanic serving institution when I was in college, right? And I think even many of the students that are in my in the institution that I serve and here at NEIU, I don't think they even realize it, right? Because it's not like up front and center sometimes. Um, but I think what happened was that I did realize at Harold Washington, at UIC, at IIT, um, the need to really emphasize service to specific population, not because they deserve it more than others, but because every population has different needs and there's different cultural aspects that affect us, right? And so just like we said, sure, it it it, it helped me to be triggered by challenge, but not everybody's like that, right? Most people are not triggered by challenge. They're negatively triggered. Like they're not positively triggered by challenge. They're negatively triggered. So when you're negative trigger, then you step away and then you run really follow that path. So I think, you know, looking at where I was and looking at NEIU as established HSI, right? Because when I came in, it was already an HSI. It wasn't something that we were applying or we're going through the process, right? Back in 2009, you know, it was already HSI. Um, so, you know, it, it, I saw it as like, okay, here's an institution that says, we are focusing on a specific population and we're developing these services around it, right? Regardless if I knew if they were either successful or not. I mean, I wasn't there assessing. I was just thinking, okay, that sounds great because then my move as a, a, a employee of the institution is to look at areas that are highly concentrations of minorities, specifically of Latinos, right? Because I got to be very selfish on that end, right? I saw a lot of need in the neighborhood that I came up with, right? Where I grew up, where my friends grew up. So I realized that's where I need to focus on, right? And so, you know, looking at, 
at, at, at the serving institution from the outside, right? Like not as my role, but as like what attracted me was in part because the role appeared, but also because I saw it as like a statement of the vision that was building up on me. How, how what was I going to do to hopefully make some type of change? Not a difference, right? Because I don't think I'm I'm that big and huge to make differences, but I could support change. I could, I could, I could bring in resources that probably they weren't there before. Um, and if 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 the institution says that this is who they are and who they serve, then that sounded like a great place to be at, right? It also kind of like told me that maybe it's a Hispanic serving institution, there's going to be a lot more individuals with my experience. And that is also very useful, right? Because then by seeing each other's experiences, you could be more, much more successful at supporting somebody else's experience, right? Because then it doesn't become this narrow path of this is the only way to do things, right? So I don't know if that helps a little bit with like just focusing around it, but you know, I think now that UIC is also a Hispanic serving institution, right? I look back and I'm like, okay, well, there was already certain services that were being offered, right? Uh, Latino frats, right? Um, there was uh, a lot of like Latino events and, and services, right? Multicultural and Latino cultural centers, right? So there was things that they were already developing, right? That I think throughout the years is starting to, you know, emerge as, as much more focal points of the institution. Um, and so I saw that also at NIU, right? Proyecto uh, Palante, Que Onda Solas. There's a lot of stuff that I saw right in front of me. I was like, yeah, this is the place. Um, and I think this is where we can make some 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 strides. Yes, exactly. That's that's serving this, right? Like the, what you're talking about is like, when I, you know, talk about the structures for serving or the servingness framework, right? Like the structural pieces is what we see, right? The tangible pieces, right? Um, the services, the programs, the fraternities, right? Mm-hmm. Like those sort of things. Um, and and Latino Greek, right? Specific Greek fraternities. Right. Um, but you said uh, you know, something important. You said that you saw that they were these different places, even if you didn't know it was an HSI, that there was you saw that there was a need to serve specific populations. And people get really caught up. It's interesting in the HSI conversation that like, well, if we're Hispanic serving, we don't serve everybody. And it's like, there's actually mm-hmm. a need, which is actually an equity need, yeah. right? When 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 you're when you committed to equity, and I've been saying this like over and over again, they like I'm like. Do you commit to equity? If you do, then you care about specific populations, right? Because right? that's that's an equity conversation. Right. Some some populations have a greater need, right? Which is what you said. You said, yeah, there was a there's some a greater need, right, in some some places and some of these uh, things you were seeing, even if it wasn't called HSI and it wasn't on the wall, right? Because right. <laughs> it isn't always. It isn't always. Yeah, it isn't everywhere. It isn't. You know? But it doesn't mean we're not doing surveyness. Correct. So Correct. I, it could be I, hidden. It could be in. Be- I think that's that that happens a lot in institutions, especially the larger the institution is, mm-hmm. that there might be so much serving is happening, right? So many things occurring, right? You have research, you have direct service, you have student affairs, academic affairs, you have in between all the support resources, you get lost, right? And mm-hmm. so, and I think that's where the conversations of like, well, we're serving this, you know, if, if we're a, a minority serving institution, well, what does that mean? If we're a Hispanic serving institution, what does that even mean? If, if we are uh, historical, like as an institution, how, what does that mean, right? And I think at the end of the day, when you you just mentioned the equity part, right? Um, that I think supersedes sometimes uh, 
the I'm going to focus on Hispanic serving uh, Hispanics because or Latinos because that's what we're we're titled right and I think that also does a little bit of service to that title because then mm-hmm. it doesn't develop capacities for understanding each other it, it leads us to much much more um divert like the division right because we don't understand why we mm-hmm. do what we do I mean and I think mm-hmm. it just leads to a lot more other stuff um yes there should be a focus on the population right I understand that um, because some of the funding is very directed to that. Mm-hmm. But I think in general terms, I think you, you you touch on equity. And I think that's what we should be like focusing mm-hmm. within the scope of Hispanic service institution, mm-hmm. right? Like how do we build equity? And equity is about bringing others to, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that's that's a big thing. Yeah. 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 And that's why I've been having it in that kind of conversation for people, because it sort of gets their guard down. Right, because people are really guarded, like, oh my gosh, Hispanic only. And I'm like, it doesn't say Hispanic exclusive, right? Like right. There, it's you just, go. there is a need, right? There is, mm. is there's you can't deny that the data show there is a need for the Latino population, the Latina population, um, and also black population, right? Because that's usually the concern. It's like we're not gonna serve black students. And I'm like, and some of your black students are are Latinos, Afro-Latinos, right. like there's so much complexities to it. So um so yeah, which is what what we talk about the podcast, right? Is to like how do we how do we complicate this so it doesn't seem so exclusionary? We can start to do this work in really meaningful, powerful ways. So so thank you for that. And with that, let's 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 talk a little bit about some of the work you've been doing, right? At NEIU, um, tell us about some of the ways you've implemented servingness um, in practice, whether it be through your grant work um, or you know if you've done any specific HSI uh, work. But often, you know, we do this work through our grants too. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I I'll try to like, um, you know, focus it a little bit. Um, so I think one of the one of the big things um, when you're talking about serviness and also thinking about Hispanic serving institution, I'm going to touch those and talk about equity as well, is that I, I was very much of the mindset, and I said it earlier in my conversation about the path, that there are there were certain communities that I felt that they were not being not they were not receiving the same resources as other, right? I think I think my my time in the urban plan policy and, and doing data analysis and looking at like where poverty is and why poverty is there. And then looking back at, you know, Latin and Latino studies, you know, looking at all those things, right. That, you know, cultural, historical um, impacts into certain populations. Right. I, I was able to say, well, you know, what do I, what do we need to do? Right. And so going back to the data and saying, okay, well, do we want to see, um, a broader diversity in degrees, right? Do we want to see that people that tend that tend not to be in these fields um, are more in these fields, right? And then they have the resources for it, right? Because you can't just say, we want more Latinos to be engineers. Well, you know, that requires a lot of stuff, right? It requires a lot of resources. It, it's, it's, it requires early interventions, early supports, resources. I mean, there's a lot to that, right? And so I, I, I got to a point where I said, well, if we if we're really going to be doing that, we need to be thoughtful about how do we serve students, right? And if we're going to say we're students centered, it's not about only what all the things that students want that we're going to have to figure out. It's more about how do we develop a relationship with the student to understand their needs, assess their needs, and see what we have as resources to give those and to meet those. Because I can't say, oh, you want to go to the moon. I'm like, well, now I got to you know, build a rocket ship. No, I don't have those resources, right? What else can I do, right? And so I think in in that in those terms, 
one of the specific things that we focused was uh, to start seeking additional funding. And that funding focused in specific communities, right? It's communities that are 90%, you know, um, Latino, right? Because we're so segregated in Chicago, right? So, I mean, like, you go to, it's all Latinos, it's all African Americans or Blacks, and there's, you know, you just go through through neighborhoods, and it's just, like, groups, right? And so, um, I, need, I, I needed to see a way to look at equity, and look at equity from the lens of making sure or supporting our, 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 our population, our community, to see the, the options, the alternatives, right? Now, I'm going to be very clear. All the work that I do is K through 12, right? Even though I'm a I I am an instructor in computer science department and I do other things, right? Um, it is all K through 12 focused. And at the end of the day, with all the resources that we give, I'm outpacing NEIU as a choice institution for the students that we serve. And that's not what maybe the institution will like to see, but what we're saying is that's our commitment to the community. And sometimes the commitment to the community might be return investment through financial aid and uh, you know tuition dollars. And sometimes it's about the work that the students did with us at NEIU, even though they weren't enrolled students, it still was significant to their growth and to their impact and to their achievement. So with that in mind, I said, well, let's focus on certain schools. So we went to the South side, or not South Super side, but you know, uh, the Brighton Park area, back of the yards area, areas that you know I lived, my parents you know, have a home there. Um, and I saw the need. I saw that there was not a lot of resources. Yes, there's a lot of communities working really hard to make it happen, but th- I didn't see any university really invested yet in those, right? And in, in, in a way that I'm bringing you a million dollars to do this work, right? And so I say, you know what? We're going to put our, <laughs> you know, if we're going to be talking about serving and we're going to talk about, you know, I- impacting communities. We're going to put, you know, all our resources into it. So, you know, we worked on on getting these funds. And so we were able to do a grander with five high schools. And, you know, through that work, we started to say, OK, well, what are what how are we making this a successful path? You know, and the successful path is not about them all being engineers, but developing certain skill sets that are necessary. Right. Are you developing critical thinking approaches. Uh, You have a a mindset that allows you to be successful because the reality is the world we live in is not a really pretty world, right? And so, you know, we have to figure out how to like not push the rhetoric of, oh, you just have to persist all the time, but how do we cope with persistence, right? And so, you know, some of those, those concepts as we're building them academically, right? Because knowing the data and looking at the data, many of these high schools, they're doing an excellent job with what they have. Right. I think that's the thing. Right. We we tend to have a conversation about like how people are not doing enough. It's just you just can only do as much as your capacity. Right. And so if you only have some some so many dollars to allocate, you could only do so much. If you have a classroom with 40 kids, 40 students, you can't do the same as someone with 15 students. Right. And so, you know, those things that are affecting the schools, we saw how to support it. Right. And grow it. So we start to do a lot of, of, of work on developing students academically, but in order to make sure that that happened, we also had to work on them on their own personal growth. And that led from grants to actually exposing our students to start doing presentations of the content that they learn across other places. So that's how we ended up, you know, taking students to Alaska, taking students to Puerto Rico, and not in you know, let's do a trip so that they could see Puerto Rico and Alaska. I was like, no, we're going to go there and lead some training workshops. I want you to put in your resume the thing that I missed. 
I didn't know I needed to do that, right? But now I know a little, I hope I know a little bit better, right? And so I'm going to get you to get that skill set. So if you think you're going to need it eventually, then at least you have it, right? And so our students started to get involved in this process of learning STEM for application purpose, right? So it was not about like memorize this formula. It was more like, why is that formula even in existence? What does it do? So critically analyzing and observing science than to memorize for passing exams. So the last thing I ever want to do is like, say I have students with A's, but they don't know how to do anything in real life other than if they take an exam and they pass it. It's no, this all is going to have to go into the workplace, right? So if I want you to be successful, I also need to support workforce readiness, right? And you see how it just keeps on mounting on top of the, I mean, that's a lot. It's not just saying I'm going to teach students engineering. It's like all the other gamma and array of things that need to be developed for them to be successful. So as we started doing that kind of work, we realized, well, you know, how do we make sure that our students are come are able to compete in a world where everybody's doing a million things once they're eight years old, right? And so, you know, because of privilege, right? We got to be honest, right? My children have a lot more privilege than many of the children in the communities that I serve because they have me, right? And so, it, I mean, I got to be honest, right? And so I'm teaching my daughter, four years old, how to code a, pro, a robot, right? Mic drop, right? But that's not like bragging. That's like, there's something clearly wrong that I could do that, and nobody, and I, and I'm ahead of the of, of the rest of the population, and so my the competition has already like put my daughter way ahead of everyone else, right? And so I was like, well, that can happen to everyone else too. So that's when we started focusing. No, we got to build those like those skill sets, right? And so I think what we what we start to move forward into this this process to develop the youth that we serve was not only academically, but also development professionally, the workforce readiness piece, all the way to the point that their resume is as impactful as a college graduate, right? I want to make sure that that happens. So when the students that we are sending off to college, when they get in there, they're just the, the star of the place, right? Not because they're academically advanced, but because they know how to navigate it and not just, oh, I know where to go but I know how to analyze who's giving me good information, who's giving me bad information, who's supporting, who do I need to meet? And also how do I develop those skill sets? So I think, you know, that, that lets us all the way to like all the, you know, broad trips, right? So like taking students to, you know, uh, Latin America. So we go to Colombia almost every single year. Uh, we have gone to China. We have gone to Philippines. Both of those through some support with the science group, but the Colombia very much through MOUs with the institution, which also changes some things, right? When you start having as a Hispanic survey institution, memorandum understandings with institutions in Latin America, right? I mean, how much survey institution in Hispanic could you see when you start developing that, right? And our students are the focal part of it, right? So now we're not saying a fourth year graduates, uh, graduating a college student, we're talking about a high school senior being put in that place, right? And so I think, you know, when we talk about serviness, I think, you know, I give you a huge long story, but it's just really developing the path of, it wasn't just about let's get the students to graduate, let's get them to go to college, let's do some college readiness for the sake of understanding. It was like, what does even college readiness look like? And how do we assess it and evaluate it? So when the student goes in, knows what to do. You should go in with knowing like what courses you need for your for your degree before you even meet with your counselor. And that sounds horrible because there's a counselor, but there's a counselor for 100 students to 200 students, right? And if it doesn't match with your schedule, then now you don't know. I'm like, nope, we're not going to see that. That happened to me. It's not going to happen to anyone else again. So I think, you know, the breadcrumbs lead to this, right? 
I saw certain things that were gaps. How do we support so that those change, right? And that's with the program, but that also leads into some of the collaborations within the university. How do we address dual enrollment? You know, we develop a whole entire computer science department enrollment thing for dual enrollment for high school students into college, right? Now we have high school kids walking out of high school with 17 credit hours, all of them transferable, right? I mean, all for free, nothing gets charged, right? And so I think that gives you a little bit of pad of serviness um, and directly, I mean, 90%, 85% of our students are all of Latino descent um, and a good percentage of our, our Latino immigrants as well. Um, so we have, we have not as much as I would like to because of funding situations, but we're able to actually also support undocumented students, right? Students that either have DACA or they're undocumented because of, again, the politics of the world. Um, but um, that gives you a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, a lot. So my brain, I'm always, and I say this all the time on this, on the podcast is like, I'm immediately like um, thinking research and like, where uh, does this mm -hmm. map onto the serviness framework? Like what you said, it, it did say things that like, we haven't necessarily written about or talked about extensively. Well, for one, the fact that you said that like, you're serving the community over this institution's needs, that's powerful, right? That the students and the community actually needs are more important than the institutions. Um, because in higher ed, we prioritize the institution, right? right. Like what's going to be good for the institution versus what's going to be good for the people, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is sad because we're educational institutions, you know? Um, and so that's such a powerful piece of serviness. I think if we could all be better servers, we would actually prioritize people and communities, right? Over the institution. And the institution does much better, right? Because I think it's all about perception. So like if you have a vested interest on the improvement of mm -hmm. the society in itself, right? I mean, now we're talking about like just thoughts, right? But if you mm -hmm. have that kind of idea, yeah. then your enrollment is going to go up because people are going to want to come here, right? Because you're changing and transforming the way people see you. But if people see you as just this brand that is just trying to sell, yeah, then it's just not going to lead you too far away from the little impact that you have, right? I'm not yep. saying that any of you has little impact. That any of you has impact, right? But I'm just saying <laughs> in general terms, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll get fire up there. This, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's it's the when you when you say that it's like that neoliberal sort of right. um, perspective of higher ed, right? Like we right. we have to serve and we have customers and they pay us and we give them a service versus we actually serve people because we we care about communities, right? Um, although I think institutions people within them are reflective of the institution right. like you right. right this work you're doing is reflective of the institution in many sort of ways so so that was powerful i wanted to say that and also um the idea of like serving students before they actually even enter. Um, I, I think there's a lot of emerging HSIs right now that are trying to figure out how do we get more uh, Latino students to our institution because they want to hit the HSI number. Um, and, and then part of it, I think, is what you're saying, right? It's like, serve them. Yep. <laughs> serve them before they get to camp. You don't have to wait till they're enrolled. Right. You don't yep. have to wait till they've paid tuition to start yep. actually serving right. them. You know, you can and the return investment is huge, right? I mean, if you really think about it in neoliberalism ideology, right? You're investing very little on yeah. supporting this youth to see the space that you're selling to them as viable, right? I mean, like any brand gives you way stuff at the beginning to buy you in or give you a discount to buy. I mean, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say that I want to go in that marketing strategy, but what I'm trying to say is if you put it into, into context in that way already, 
then it's not really hard to switch your mindset and tell you, well, you know, invest on the community. A little beyond that, just we did a couple of events, we just came and visit, but let's say, hey, let's have this kind of summer program that we offer, right? And there's a lot of institutions already do that, right? Um, but with the intent of changing the perception of the community about the institution, even though these communities that I'm serving are about an hour drive from NEIU. It's not even mm. in their neighborhood, right? Mm. And so like that tells you right there, I think a, a different sense of servingness, right? It's not mm. my immediate community because that's where we live. It's mm -hmm. it's really the broader community, right? I mean, where are we geographically located and are we actually seeing this as the impact we have in the city and the nearby suburbs? Or are we just seeing this as, Oh, because there's the houses around us and that's it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the other program that we serve, um, it's like an hour and 30 minutes away from NEIU, all the way in the suburbs, right? And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, looking at it at that way, um, maybe transforms a little bit how we impact. Yeah, for sure. No, I, and it's important to contextually, right, with the Chicagoland area is like, it is that complex that you an hour and a half is still your service area yeah. uh, because it's such a large area, right? Not not all college and universities have that necessarily, right. um, but y'all do. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of competition, a lot of other colleges and universities sure, in the area, sure. you know. But so. I think that's healthy. I think that's mm -hmm. good, right? I mean, options are good. I mean, you know, we mm -hmm. should be able to, and, and I think that's and, and not to divert, but I think that's part of the work that we're doing, making sure that youth have options. Mm -hmm. Not just decisions to make because there's no other, nothing else to make a choice out of. And so we're saying, no, you should have choices mm -hmm. and evaluate those choices. If you don't want to be an engineer, if you don't want to be a, a writer, if you don't want to be a journalist, that's fine. You want to go into trade, let's work on it, but let's focus on it, right? Let's try to actually achieve it, right? And so I have no problem in that, right? I think it's 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 about the students' um, need and desire and interest, but they should be able to have choices. And mm -hmm. so again, having so many higher institutions in Chicago, it's good because there's options, right? Mm -hmm. And so you could outdo those options, right? Because they think that your quality is much greater, then that's a something, right? Yeah. That's what we want to see. At least I want to see that, right? Yeah, for sure. So um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, like TRIO and EOPS. Like you, you sure. know, you work with, with TRIO, obviously. Um, uh, that's something I've written about as far as like those historical structures, right? They're mm -hmm. historic. They've been around, Trio's been around a long mm -hmm. time, like 60 years, right? Like something, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 60, 60, something almost 60 like, years. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, those are historic mm -hmm. spaces of servingness, I would say, right? Yeah. I call those the historic servingness mm -hmm. spaces. Um, and But yet in today's contemporary HSI servingness conversation, they're not brought in. A lot of times they're still left out doing their own. Trio does yeah. what Trio does. EOPS right. does what they do. You, you know, upper bound without mm -hmm. it like mm -hmm. integrating, right? So we're we're all trying to do the same thing and not acknowledging that we're all doing trying to do the same thing. Um, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. Like how do how do those historic spaces become a part of the work that we're doing, right? How can they be be HSI structures for serving without being all by themselves? Yeah. That's that's the 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 million dollar question or one billion dollar question because now one million dollars <laughs> nothing right so like the, the billion dollar question right right um, I'll tell you this much I think you need to have in each campus and there's a lot of people doing great work in in tree in the tree community in the EOP field that understand that in order for you to be successful you need to have a seat at the table within the institution. Right. And I think that's all programs. I mean, you should all if you have some type of support services program in the campus, you need to be involved in some conversations. You need to be 
you need to make sure that the institution is aware of the work that you do, because I think that's our problem. We do great work, but we do it in our little corner. And and this is not new. I mean, like I have heard this from many of my colleagues, right? And and many, you know, giants in the field, right? And so I think I think I I never allow myself not to speak about the work that we do. I thought that was part of my job description. My job title required tell everybody what you're doing, right? Not for the sake of saying, like, look at Aaron, like it's irrelevant. I'm gone. The prime's still gonna run. I tell you that for a hundred percent sure. I'm gone yesterday and this program is going to continue to talk about how great it is right because it is part of the culture of the program it's been built in to say well if the provost knows if the president knows if the deans know if the chairs know if the people at the front desk know then that's great why because then what it means is that if there's an opportunity to engage in growth in impact because of the work that you're doing then they know who they're going to call right and so when we talk about Trio Prime COP, 60 something years, right? I mean, these people, you know, like us, we should know something about college readiness and college success, right? And so instead of like thinking, oh, let's reframe it, it's, well, what are they doing? Let's look at the data. I mean, you know, we're required to do annual performance reports every year and they're all data driven, right? And so, you know, if you can't prove that you are making everyone succeed, you lose the grant, right? In, in general terms, right? And so I think, what we need to do within the, the, the within institutions understand that programs, education opportunity programs and grants, especially, you know, I'm just going to talk about TRIO, right? Um, they cannot be just something that the institution has. It has to be core. And you're saying it. How does that happen? Well, where you place them, right? If you're going to put them in the student affairs, under who are you placing them? That in the structure of this university, because it's all about structures, right? It's all about who hears what about the report, right? So if you are under the fourth person that's that that talks to the provost, right? Then it's very likely that your report is going to be a minor note, right? And so how do we increase that? Um, how do you also increase the visibility of the work that you do, right? And so for the institution to know what you're doing, you need to show it, right? And so how many times do we invite you know, higher administration to events, right? I mean, the precedent for the past three, four years, no, actually 10, 10, 12 years at NAU has come to our events, has actually sp spoken our events. Why? Because I'm like, until they say no, I'm going to be keep on emailing this person. Let me send you again the newsletter that shows all the work that we do. Let me give you this link. Let me give you that link. Hey, look what we're doing, right? And so I think, you know, going back to like, what can we do? I think institutions of higher ed, higher ed could look at the impact of those programs, right? Request a simple summary. If I am a TRIO director or EOP director, trust me that I'm sending a resume of the work that we have done partially, right? Like a quarter. I don't have to send something at the end of the year because it's not a reporting structure that I need to, uh, you know, commit to. It's not a check of the mark, uh, like of the box, right? It is really about like, I'm going to send you this review of the work that we were doing because I don't know when the new strategy is going to come in. I don't know when the new need is going to appear. So this goes back to the be prepared when the opportunity comes in. You know, you don't want to wait till the opportunity happens to be like, oh, now I, let me be part of it. It's like, you want to make sure that the institution knows that you're ready to jump into that opportunity and the person to call is you, right? And so I think you as in the program, not the individual, right? Um, because the, the the program is the one that will last the person. So I don't know if that that's not an answer, but that just gives you a little bit of a view of, you know, possibilities.
Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's a billion dollar question, right? Because yeah, there isn't a, a one straightforward answer to like, right. how do we bring these p- structures together? But like, I'm seeing it a lot. Like when I'm visiting HSIs, different campuses, it's like, there's lots of initiatives going on, but they don't all like come together. Uh, yet we're all working really hard. And then only a small number of students are getting the one, ac- you know, access to the one service or mm-hmm. one student is getting like access to all of them. They got smart, <laughs> right? Some students are really savvy like that. They're mm-hmm. like, all right, let me, let me get access to all of these um, different, different services. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to think about there. Now you've and also been, pro- yeah. uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I know say, and also I think it also impacts the programs, right? Because when the information is not out, we got to be very honest, right? You're selling a service that mm-hmm. not everybody understands that they need, right? And so, you know, I think I think sometimes it's not so much that the student is being served by most multiple programs. Yeah, there's those, that's like those one small percentage of students mm-hmm. that are like just trying to figure it out, right? But what really happens is that sometimes no one is getting the service mm-hmm. and, and people are working really hard to try to get students to to participate, to attend, to to be part of. But again, if you only hear of the program through the grapevine in a random moment, then it's going to be really hard to, for people to know, right? And so Mm -hmm. like, how do you get out there? I think that is, that's a key, I think. A key component is how do you get out there so that the students know, because again, that's your outcome, right? If you could prove that students are being served and they're growing and they're, they're, you know, succeeding, right, through this rigorous program of getting through college, right, because it's hard, and not everybody makes it, right, otherwise everybody will have degrees, um, so if you could show that, I think the institution will see, I think the institution is also as a body, not lacking all the time, the understand that there's success, and when they see success, sometimes some institutions will take on and try to figure that out, and mm. sometimes they don't, they mess out, but you just continue to like put it out there until the day that they do grab mm. onto it, right? Which is kind of like what has come out of like first gen initiatives, right? I mean, that's bringing a lot of programs together, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's where a lot of people kind of like, well, you know, we're doing all this work for the same type of population, mm. but we've been doing that kind of work for the same population, right? Lo- mm. uh, limited income students. That's like a big percentage of who we serve. We're all serving the same student, right? And so like, how do we collaborate? And I think collaboration is also on its own monster, right? Of what mm. does that look like? How do you collaborate? Who is mm. in charge? And then now you go into a structural monster of the institution, right? Um, not to be negative and then a negative note, but I think those are the challenges, I think, right? It's mm-hmm. easier to see the challenges than the the uh, the actual, you know, out-of-the-box solution. Yeah, for sure. No, you're right. It is. It's like, because the collaboration sounds like the easy thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll just collaborate and do it together. Yeah. And it just... Oh, uh, monsters of organizations that we are part of just right. it doesn't come easily to to do that collaborative work. So, all right, we'll keep sitting on that one. One maybe one of us will get the billion dollar question right. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> maybe we'll get that grant, the billion dollar right. grant to do that work to actually right. make right. do that work. Um, so you're also you know involved at, even at that greater Chicagoland area and in and, and Illinois across different spaces. Um, and that's an area I've spent a lot of time with thinking about HSIs for sure. Um, what do you think are some of the greatest like opportunities or assets in the Chicagoland area for HSIs? There's about 15 or so within the immediate city mm-hmm. already, and another 10 to 15 just like 
on that next layer, right? Like you say that, you know, we're serving an hour and a half. That's that next layer, right? Like yeah. the Chicagoland area, a good, at least 30 HSIs, right? Like all mm-hmm. within that area. Yeah, um, and talking about collaboration, I haven't seen it. And I, of course, you know, I don't know everything, but I haven't seen this collaborative effort of HSIs in that area. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, are there opportunities? Are there some, some, some ways that HSIs in that area could start to think more collaboratively? Yeah. Well, so I'll say that um, I always see in the difficulty and in the struggle that there's always a way to find opportunity, right? Um, and I say that because I think collaboration, going back to that word, right, and and, and that process, because it is a process, right? Um, collaboration is difficult because at the end of the day is in institutions, right? And I'm speaking out of my own experience. I don't know if this is true or not, right? But um, it's about the benefit, right? It's it's all about like an input and an output, right? Is my output greater than the input, right? And so I think when you talk about collaborations, I think we end up in the place where who is going to benefit from that collaboration? But I think the reality is that there's so many people out there that could benefit from the resources, could benefit from coming to an HSI that are not choosing to go to an HSI just because they don't even know, right? And so I think, you know, we do a disservice sometimes as higher ed institutions to think that our recruitment is doing high school college fairs, um, that recruitment is, you know, having a big banner somewhere in the highway, um, that recruitment means um, trying to go to some type of space where all these other recruitment things are happening so that we could sell what we're trying to, what we're pitching, right? But I think, again, it's going back to the most most necessary part. It's like, how do we invest in the community, right? And so one, one of those examples that I could tell you, and it, it is kind of happening, um, but in Pilsen, right, we have um, the University Roundtable, something small, you know, growing a little bit. But it, it, it's a community of higher end institutions and non-for-profits. Um, uh, Pilsen Neighborhood Council is, is kind of like leading the, the support and the facilities of that that space. Um, my associate director Blanca Saavedra is the one, the superstar on that team, right? I mean, like she's she she is she's the one leading this. But I'm going to speak on her behalf um, because of the work that we have been doing there. But I think that when we see how do we serve the community, how do we engage with participate with youth, with the parents, right? Uh, really be part of the environment, right? Um, if you want to talk about being supportive, you need to be part of the fabric of where you work, right? And so if that fabric that you work is the city, you need to be within, right? And so it cannot be just when you get to campus, that's when it happens. It, it, we shouldn't be about the building, we should be about the idea, right? And that's what education used to be. Education wasn't going to this space about learning. I mean, yes, they focus on somewhere where they could all gather, but really learning happened at any moment. If you look at, you know, learning in reality, it happened through observation at random moments in life. So when you look at this, you know, historical, you know, documentation of how learning, even us, right? When we do observations, we go to the field, you know, if you're going to do a research on a community, you don't sit here in the, in your, in the office, and also and all the stuff comes out, right? Like that's not it, right? And so uh, the temple of, of education does not really exist, right? We have to go to the community. We have to experience that. So if we wave ourselves in through the communities in collaboration, we are all going to benefit, right? We're all going to be able to do things that others cannot do and support each other in the things that we can do. What does that mean? NEIU does not have a, a college of engineering, right? At all. 
but I have a STEM program, right? I, all I could offer is computer science, right? Well, I had no issues with all my students going to UIC or U of I. I mean, I think 60% of my students go to U of I. That's their decision they make out of engineering, right? Um, North, Northern, right? And then now you're stretching yourself outside of Chicagoland area, but the collaboration that you have because of proximity um, when we're in the closer to the city than they are, or the collaboration of, again, resources that I cannot offer, right? I cannot give a degree on that, but you can. Now, there's a degree that we give that you might not have as much interest or that you're already booked, like you're overextended, you're over-enrolled, right? And so I think those are conversations really about how administrations and institutions realize that everybody could have a piece of the pie when you're talking about enrollment, because that does the key, right? The word is always about funding and enrollment numbers, right? We could meet those together. It's much more successful when you have multiple people putting together their efforts that everybody is trying to do it on our own. So when you're saying all this HSI, well, how do we find a space, right? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a failure at that one, right? Like I haven't never brought in all HSIs together. I have never had that conversation, right? It is sometimes a good time in this conversation to be like, you know what, maybe that is a thing that we should be focusing on. And not because it's the new thing to do, but because at the end of the day, what I want to make sure that we do is impact the community that we are, right? And so again, not the proximity community, but the community where the people that need the most service, right? Those that are, you know, been set aside, right? And so like, you know, we got to be honest that that that's um that's not something that that equity, equity is not really happening, right? And so not everybody gets the same uh, um, pile of money, right? And so when we look at that, many of the institutions that HSI are serving those students, right? Are serving students that are coming from those neighborhoods, right? The majority are, the majority are first gen, right? And so I think, you know, limited income, right? I mean, most of them will get financial aid. So I think, you know, looking at, at, at collaboration as a sense to meet whatever quota people say that we need to meet, um, it's fine. It's a way to sell it. But I think in another way is to really say, well, we are here to really impact our city, right? And and, and we could do that together and, and really transform the the this declining number of enrollment, right? Because I think a lot of the decline in enrollment doesn't have to do only with finances. Yes, college is a lot more expensive now than it was before, but it's not, I don't think it's only about finance. I think it's about a perception. It's a perception that why would I do that? Is it really beneficial? What is the the immediacy on my return on investment? And I think sometimes that needs to be understood differently, right? Sometimes we need to see that investing of something, developing something as much as it's learning, it's a long life effort. It's not an immediacy thing, right? And so I think, you know, we could all work together to changing that perception where people are saying, well, there's no reason to go to college. I'm going to learn how to be a, a coder by watching a couple of videos online. Well, Whoever was making those videos learned from someone else, right? And so it doesn't, it didn't just appear out of nowhere. So I think, you know, yes, she could be an entrepreneur. You could develop your skill sets, but it doesn't hurt to also understand some structures, right? Because again, it is not about the content. I think college to me is about developing critical thinking abilities, right? Understanding how to work with others. You can't do that behind a screen, just watching videos and tutorials. You have to engage with people, right? And so I think the additional, you know, offerings of a college degree are not really addressed when we're, when we're pitching it out to people. We're pitching out the degree and how much money you're going to make at the end, 
But what about everything else, right? I mean, you want to vote for the right politician. We need to be in a classroom where we could talk about and discuss those issues, right? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm going that direction because it's critical analysis, right? Understanding, right? It's not really about do you know how to do an addition subtraction or where the verb goes. It's really about do I understand the concept, the idea? Can I criticize it? I understand that someone is going to negate whatever it is that I believe on. And how do I deal with that? Because we're in a very sp in a in a space where we don't take criticism where we don't take the other side right and so that that is also part of of the higher ed process right like that's something that i believe that we could change right and it, and again in the collaboration those are some things that we could address um address how we change that perception of what it is to you know develop civics within our, our our society right understand what is right and wrong and understand that some rights and some wrongs are no longer inclusive of today's age right like what we thought it was it's no longer okay now right and how do we address those how we change those so now you're talking about like actual structural change but that comes out of our collaboration right collaborations allow you to actually ask those questions but i think at the end that collaboration needs to be needs to have a deliverable we need to see an outcome we cannot stay in the conversation for the conversation's sake right because we do that a lot right we do a lot of the conversation but no outcome and and that's our uh, that's a that's my biggest fear that we address the issues but we don't address it as a change right and as an improvement of whatever it is that we're not okay with um so again not an answer of collaboration but maybe a little bit of gathering of you know things that could potentially happen things like that i think will make us very very successful and and again keep on growing right because i this is not changing right i mean the reality of our nation is that we're going to keep on getting more diverse right and the diversity numbers are going to be growing in every single pocket so we have to understand that that's that's who we are and we have to be okay with that right and so um in 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 an inclusivity way right in in, in the way that like it's good to be diverse like i want to make sure that i'm surrounded with people that are, different than I am because that is going to make me a better human um so yeah yeah for sure you are just like dreaming about a different way of doing higher ed which I love because that's like my whole thing is like what if we did it differently than we've always done right and the way you're talking about is it is collaborative is to say we're going to serve again we're going to serve communities and we're going to be okay with it like that they're not going to necessarily come to us right that that serving them means we're we're distributing them across the, the, the city right into the places where they need the most not mm -hmm. us as an institution right but right. we center us we center the institution not the people so much yep. you know um, but you definitely have this like collaborative, different way of thinking. So thank you for that. Thank you for bringing that fresh joy and fresh thought into the way we're thinking about high red and about HSIs in general. I think we need it. I did want to ask you in addition to that city question about like the state of Illinois, because I mm -hmm. think Illinois is pretty friendly. And and like every time I go talk to Texas now, I'm like, I'm sorry, y'all are in Texas. Texas is horrible, oh. right? Like, <laughs> but there's some reality in that, yeah. right? It's like yeah, this sure. matters. So like, yeah. am, am I wrong in saying that Illinois is a little bit friendly to this work? Has Illinois been friendly, you think, to, to supporting folks of color and Latino students? Yeah. Again, from my experience, um, <laughs> I'm not a political analyst here. We're just <laughs> nah, just in your you know, work. Like, yeah, I, I, I think Chicago might be a little more friendly and inclusive and inviting 
I do believe that Illinois the state is a little different, right? The makeups, I mean, you just need to put in a map and then you see what happens. Um, if depending where you move in the Midwest, also that changes, right? Um, and it's not about ideology. I'm not, I'm not talking about Republican and Democrats. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more about what, what is human acceptance and human kindness? How do we see the growth of this nation? Right, because we're accepting this as our nation, right? And so how and this comes from immigrant, right? And I'm not selling it, so keep my green card. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that it is what it is, right? And so when you're when you are when you have a stake on the politics and the society, the environment of where you live, you want to make sure that you understand each other. And I think that is our biggest problem. So, like, you know, in, in the thought about like, are we very are we a little bit more inclusive of those that might not that some of some people might not think that should be here, right? Let's put it that way, right? And, and in clear words, right? If you're an immigrant and you're undocumented, right? Do you belong here? Well, you're here, right? And and the reality is that we are all migrated, right? And then I think, you know, that's the biggest difficulty for people to understand that no one is really from here only unless you're native, right? And 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 you know. I don't see a lot of natives around me, right? Like I could tell you right now, I look at the roster of who is in NEIU as a professor, there's not many, right? And and so again, I'm 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 saying that because at the end of the day, I think that we need to understand ourselves a little bit better. I think across the US, not I mean, yes, we're talking about Chicago, we're talking about Illinois, but it we 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 can transform really quickly. I mean, we know how things happen with individuals and perceptions and uh, certain rhetoric that is being pushed around um it's so easy to go from very friendly to uh you need to get on a bus and get out of here right um but i i, I think it is about more about selling an idea that's what i see now it's like many states are selling an idea to to retain whatever power they might think that they're having right and and bringing it to exercise on that that's still the case if you're saying like well if you are undocumented or daca or a dreamer you need to pay out of state tuition even though you have lived here your whole life right that that's the rhetoric i'm not, I'm not moving away to the politics i mean i'm connecting directly into what it is to serve in a university so i think once you start saying well if you don't have this or that you shouldn't be here or you should not get the resources and support as others i think we go back to the equity issue and so the equity issue, not just only on being an immigrant, but the equity issue, even though where you come from, right? And so I understand that, that again, we're in, in Chicago is a very friendly city, but all it takes is a different mayor. All it takes is a different governor. And that changes quickly, right? And so um, I don't have anything against any other state. I do believe that certain politics in certain states are not fine. I do also know that the smaller group tend to be the loudest group. And so sometimes the bigger group doesn't tend to be loud because of our own fears and our own difficulties to express, you know, sometimes not in general, right? I'm not generalizing, but I'm just saying, um, I think when it comes to it, I, I, we need to do a little bit better in, in, in policy. I think if we are going to be addressing issues, we need to really focus on the policy and say, well, what policy are we going to put in place so that the court needs to address it? Because at the end of the day, you need to have the validity of it, right? And so, sure, maybe we'll, I will never see a amnesty. Maybe I will never see 
change in, 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 in immigration reform, which, you know, I really don't, I don't want to be negative, but I just, it, it's so hard to see it. But policy, little pieces of policy that we could chip at, right? Little by little in many ways, in many areas, right? Uh, not only in immigration, but in other areas like uh, uh, safety, right? And so like we could chip at those uh, uh, women's rights. We could chip at those little by little by policy and statements, right? That cannot be excluded out because somebody just decided to do so, right? Um, or because somebody just say like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's put it in place. And four years later, it's gone. No, I needed to be there, like present. And I think that there's a lot of people doing that work, right? Policy work where they're like writing policy to affect changing campuses, policies within the, the university. How do we address them? How many of us are involved in policy change at the institution, right? Not many. I think we just see policy as the one thing that happens in the institution for regulation. But policy could be like, no student could be requested to proof, blah, 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 right? And I mean, I know that sounds crazy. And then probably now somebody's going after this episode, they're going to be like, let's write something that says not to do this. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I think, you know, it, it is about policy and it is about addressing the regulations because little by little, we can make some changes, right? Now, we could also try to go for the bigger changes, right? Um, you know, one of those is California and I know I'm going long, but in California, the trio programs are not allowed to spend funds on undocumented students. But in California, they were able to pu push through a, a, um, um, a, a policy that allows for funds to be used to a certain percentage of undocumented students, right? I'm like, that's excellent, right? Sure, we're not going to be able to change the Department of Ed. We might not be able to change immigration status or the, the, the U.S. Department of Education, right? But if I could change it within the state, right, or within the city, and then that regulation supersedes, then we're all good, right? And so little by little, because then if two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve states are doing it, then all of a sudden you can move that forward, right? And then little by little start gaining, you know, some room in that. Um, I know that might sound crazy, but I think it's just little steps, right? Little steps to 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 change and transform if the big change is too far ahead of us, right? And so something, something. Yeah, no, I love it. I think you give us so much hope. Like I said, in the last, like you are giving us hope, right? That like, yeah, little by little, because policy, it's like, we, it's, it's not a capital P always, right? And this is going to change everything, but it's like, okay, this one, okay, now this one, okay, now this. But it also gives me hope as you were talking about like, when things are attacked, right? We're seeing like, people's rights are being attacked, um, mm -hmm. that I'm, that, that it's not the end all be all right. Like, it's like, okay, we'll recover, right. We'll, we'll come up with a new policy to combat that one that now you just took away somebody's like fundamental yep. rights, right. Like, which is horrible, but like, okay, we're going to keep moving. It's not the end, right. The battle's yeah. not over. It's, yeah, it's the battle's it's, never over. Battle's not over. Right. Maybe one little battle was lost, but there's like a bigger, a bigger war here. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I don't want to use this war terms, but like there's sure. a bigger struggle, really. I want to all say struggle, right? To for people's rights. Um, so we keep going at it, you know. Uh mm -hmm. so yeah, thank you for for continuing to give you've been giving me hope. So hopefully our listeners as well. Yeah, so final, good. yeah. <laughs> so final question. It doesn't have to be a long answer, just you know, when you hear que pasa HSIs, how do you respond to that? What's up, HSIs? What's up, SSI? Que pasa, SSI? Um, when I hear that, I even get a little goosebumps on that one. Um, <laughs> when I hear that, I, I hear, que vamos a hacer? Right? Like, what are we going to do? You know, I, I, and, and I'm not the, the type of like bootstrap, but like, you know, déjame pon mis guaraches. Let's see what's going to happen, right? Let, let, let's just 
get it done, right? And so I, I think that's when I say, ¿Qué pasa? Is, what are you doing that I could go ahead and do in my campus, right? Well, what can, what, what is a little tidbit that you gave me and, and this other tidbit and like put them together and I could come and, and, and transform an institution that has never meant to be for any of us, right? We know that. So I think, you know, when I hear que pasa HSIs, is let's just do this together, right? Like share, because if you keep it to yourself, we're never going to move forward. So share, dime. Yes, I love it. It totally wraps up, I think, the whole theme of the of this episode and everything you've been talking about. So thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest today. We're excited to have you and excited to share your thoughts with the rest of the uh, HSI familia listening. Gracias a todos. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina.